all things thyroid and Hashimoto's. That is today's show on the Lotox Life podcast. And welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host. Today is show 344, and this month marks the start of our eighth year into producing this weekly podcast. I can't quite believe that, but it's true. And I want to thank you for listening, for subscribing, for sharing shows uh, on your Instagram stories. I love seeing different shows impacting you in different ways. And of course, appreciate you sharing that with your friends, family, followers. Uh, And then of course, to people who leave reviews, wherever it is that you listen to the show, that and all the things that you do help us get the word out there and grow the listenership, which is huge now. It's crazy. We had, I think, over 100,000 people listen to the podcast in July around the world, and we've now crossed 4 million downloads. So thanks for being here. I couldn't be more thrilled to bring you another year. And to kick us off, we are talking about the thyroid. Now, a lot of people have autoimmune diseases. They are massively on the rise and there are some wonderful doctors trying to change that. Often it's about coming back to the basics about what sets the stage for autoimmune diseases to occur. And when it comes to the thyroid, the most common is Hashimoto's. I was, uh, Fortunate to get a bunch of feedback from you guys about uh, questions that you really wanted to make sure were asked. So I, I did that. Always check us out on Instagram. That's at Lotox Life because I'll ask, you know, hey, we've got this show coming up, guys. What questions do you have about uh, Hashimoto's? There were some great ones and I have incorporated all of them either as specific questions today or they're covered by the other questions that I ask Dr. Anshul Gupta, who is today's guest. Now you can hear Anshul's enthusiasm for helping get people well through every sentence he shares on the show. It was really wonderful talking to him about this subject. And, um, to give you a bit of background on him, he is a global expert in this disease. He educates people worldwide on reversing Hashimoto's disease. Uh, he's board certified as a family physician with advanced certification in functional medicine. He is yet another doctor who felt frustrated by the treatment options he had available in his conventional training and went looking for more ways he could support his patients in clinic. Uh, he is fellowship trained in integrative medicine as well. And he's worked at the prestigious Cleveland Clinic Department of Functional Medicine alongside Dr. Mark Hyman. So uh, a lot of experience. He's helped thousands of patients to reverse their health issues by using the concepts of functional medicine. And I really hope this show helps you uncover a little something or two that you could do if this is you or if it's your friend and or family member and you're going to be forwarding this to them with thanks in advance. Uh, so we'll hook into that show in a minute. 
But of course, we couldn't do the show without our wonderful uh, show sponsors because A, they help us put it on every week and B, they help your low-tox changes be a little easier on the hip pocket with the wonderful offers they provide. Now we have uh, the Natural Bedding Company last week uh, and this is testament to the fact that you should be following things along live and checking in on socials every now and then. We gave away a mattress. Heck, Uh, So a huge thank you to the Natural Bedding Company for uh, giving us such a wonderful prize for the community. There were over 400 entries. I can't believe it. Uh, So a very lucky winner there. But you have 20% off, and this is for the Aussies, their organic latex mattresses, the entire pillow range, and the organic cotton products for the rest of August. Your code is LOWTOXORG, and that's not... Um, and that's A-U-G, so short for August, if you think about it that way. Lotoxorg23. So Lotoxorg23 is your code and you get 20% off their mattresses. Everyone's always talking about how latex mattresses are too expensive and you can't do it. Well, now, hopefully, some of you can get on board with that. And then, of course, our major sponsor, Oz Climate, uh, with their wonderful dehumidifiers. I literally just got a message from Steve, who is the Naturaleek representative over in WA, uh, and Naturaleek is a low-tox hair colour uh, and hair products range. And Steve had come to one of my talks recently in Perth. Uh, I had talked about dehumidification as your number one preventative strategy for mold when it's raining or if you have a shady part of the house or after the showers or if you run a dryer and it's not a condenser dryer. And he went and bought two and he messaged me today to say, I just have to say how amazed I am about how much water this is pulling from the house. It has been a game changer. It solved our problems because not everybody has water damage when it comes to mold. Some mold just turns up because you are just having too humid an indoor air environment for too long. And by too long, I mean anything over 24 to 48 hours, mold can start to grow, especially if you've got a lot of dust for it to feed on. And so dehumidifiers, I will champion till the end of time. And you have 10% off For the rest of 2023, again, this is an Aussie offer and your code is simply LOTOXLIFE. Go to ozclimate.com.au. They also have their wonderful Winix air purifier range. Get amongst it and join the game-changing revolution of people realising just how amazing dehumidifiers are. Uh, I, I really will not shut up about them. And if you have Hashimoto's and you're in a damp environment, well, trust me when I say you've got to look after that environment so it's not adding stress to your overall stress soup in terms of external or internal stressors that are contributing to autoimmune disease, uh, it can be an amazing game changer to address something as simple as moisture in your home uh, and excess moisture from too much humidity because that doesn't require remediation and expensive things like that. It just means you've got to bring that humidity below 60% in your everyday life in your home. So Actually, on the Oz Climate website, you've also got hygrometers for sale. So it's like a little um, fridge magnet that you pop on the fridge. It's a digital screen and it tells you what the atmospheric humidity is right then. So you can keep an eye on it, see going over 60% when it's raining, let's say, or when you've 
just uh, had it, the family having their showers and you know that you can flick the dehumidifier on and address that pronto. If you do have water damage uh, or you are worried about leaks, of course, then speak to a mould technician or a leak specialist to identify what you might need to work on. That is it for our show sponsors. Let us hook into this wonderful, enlightening and super helpful chat with Dr. Anshul Gupta on all things thyroid and Hashimoto's. I hope it helps. Hello, Anshul. How are you doing? I'm doing really great. How are you doing this morning? I am wonderful and I'm thrilled that technology has allowed for our conversation to take place, uh, especially because so many people have thyroid worries, uh, you know, and it's one of those things that a lot of people can end up seeing several doctors, several specialists even taking the medication that's supposed to fix it all and still end up feeling bad. And I think I read a statistic lately. It, it was in, in another guest's book from a couple of years ago, actually, as I was researching and getting my head back into thyroid to chat with you today. And it was that 90% of thyroid patients currently today are not happy or satisfied with their treatment and its effects. 90% unhappy. That's millions of people wandering around being treated, but not feeling like that treatment is working for them. That is absolutely true. So, I mean, the we have different research studies and those numbers keep on changing mm. uh, because obviously thyroid patients have this different kinds of symptoms and each research study is looking at different set of symptoms sometimes. Yeah. So yeah. that could be the case, but the most common symptoms, you know, of thyroid issues, yes, majority of people, even after taking the medicine, continue to have those symptoms. And that statistics can range anyway from 70% to 90%. So even with the lowest range of 70%, that is still a big number. Mm. Even after doing the treatment, you know, like they are not feeling good. Mm. And here's the issue that all of these people are seeing their doctors and telling the doctors that I'm not feeling good, something is wrong. And obviously their doctor tells them, your numbers are good. Everything is normal. Nothing can be done about it. So just go home and this is the way your life would be. Or maybe go and see a psychiatrist because you are making up these symptoms. So I cannot do anything. I'm so That's glad you brought that up, Anshul, because a lot of people feel gaslit and a lot of people feel like I'm telling you I'm not well. I'm telling you I feel uncomfortable in my body in many different ways and you are just not hearing any of that and telling me everything is normal. There's nothing to be done. And that can be, that in itself could actually be a catalyst for a mental health issue that wasn't even there before because, uh, because of how um, that makes us feel. And so obviously you have seen that there lacked uh, a lot of uh, care, listening, and then subsequent effective treatment when it came to the thyroid. Tell me about your journey. When did the thyroid become something that you really wanted to figure out and do better by patients with? So my actually journey starts. So I am a traditionally family medicine physician, MD. Mm. So that's what I was trained to do. After completing my residency, you know, like I was in a private practice, you know, like very busy with seeing patients day in, day out. 
just couple of years into my practice, you know, I started having my own health struggles. I started mm. gaining weight without even changing anything in my lifestyle. I was getting very, very tired during the day that I have to take a nap during my lunch hour just to function. At the end of the day, after I was being done, you know, I was feeling kind of brain foggy that I could not assimilate any more information. And plus, I was having this horrible stomach pain. And I had no idea what was causing the stomach pain. The pain was so random that will hit me sometime during the day, sometime during the night. Doesn't matter what I eat, what I do, the pain will just not go away. So these random symptoms were hit, you know, like, you know, uh, going on in my life. Well, the main symptom was the stomach. So I said, okay, well, I need to fix it. So I thought it was acid reflux. I started taking medicines for it. Nothing changed. After trying different diets and different things, nothing was getting better. So I thought maybe I'm not a smart doctor. I need to kind of find a smarter doctor than me who can fix me. So I started seeing these specialists, gastroenterologists, you know, like endocrine specialists, all of these people. And they did testing after testing, endoscopies, colonoscopies, ultrasounds, blood work. Everything was normal. Nothing showed up over there. They added even more medications, you know, like just to see if that will be helpful. I was only 32 years of age and I was already taking four or five medications just for my stomach. Wow. What were you, can I ask what you were taking? What kind of medications? Was you talking like PPIs, that kind of stuff? A cocktail of things, you know, they mm. were like, I started with Zantac, then they added a one PPI, then they actually changed the PPI to a different one. Then I was kind of, you know, in between, I was taking antacids like on top of it. Uh, just to kind of survive it. Sometimes, you know, I was uh, taking just gas X to kind of see that will be helpful. You know, sometimes, you know, I was just taking like, you know, peppermint teas or, you know, anti-spasmodic medications just to help with the spasm. Mm. So kind of, they had no idea and I had no idea what was causing it. So every cocktail of medicine you can think about for the stomach, I was literally taking that. And uh, still that was, nothing was helping. I was still having the same pain. So at that time, you know, like I had no hope, no hope to get better. I had no way to go. Who can help me out? So then somebody introduced me to functional medicine. They said, well, this is the place where people, when they have no hope, they go and they get better. I was like, okay, I need to know about it. <laughs> you have reached the edge of the conventional <laughs> box. It's time to step outside. Yeah. Yeah. So I got trained into functional medicine. I kind of understood the root cause approach and then applied the same approach into my life kind of found the root cause of my issues and I made a stepwise plan mm -hmm. to kind of fix those problems by kind of changing my diet, changing how I process stress, taking supplements. And within one month of starting the protocol, my stomach pain completely went away. Within six months, I was off all medications. I already lost 40 pounds, you know, in my life. And uh, my brain fog was completely gone. And I had so much energy that I even participated in a 5K rugged maniac. And oh, wow. I was never you. Yeah. And I was never an athletic person. So for me to do that was even much more than that. Mm -hmm. So that was totally an eye-opener. Within six months, just doing lifestyle changes and natural things, my life totally turned upside down. I was much more healthier in my life than I ever have been. Mm -hmm. You know, the new patients actually that came to see me in the clinic, you know, they said, no, 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 we want to see Dr. Gupta. I was like, I am Dr. Gupta. No, the person who had that picture, you know, on that billboard, I was like, I'm that person, but that <laughs> picture, 
year old and i looked different they said no there is no way you look so much younger than the picture i was like oh that thank, thank you so much <laughs> so so that kind of the change that i noticed so i said okay well i need to kind of share this with people so i got mm-hmm. this opportunity to work at the cleveland clinic functional medicine department dr mark hyman wanted to do research on functional medicine model of care and i was totally interested so i joined the functional medicine department and over there i started seeing like you know uh, all of these uh, females middle aged females who had very similar symptoms as mine mm-hmm. and one thing was common they all had thyroid disorders mm-hmm. and the second thing was that they were all doing what their doctors want them to do but they were still not getting better so then i decided i need to help them because we were not even in functional medicine actually we are not looking at thyroid disorder in very depth most people are just saying oh well you know just don't take the synthetic medicine or levothyroxine just change it to the natural version of armor or nature's thyroid and you'll be okay no that's not the thing we have to go much deeper so i started researching thyroid and hashimotos for a couple of years and i found that you know the way we are approaching thyroid is totally wrong so i kind of develop a protocol in terms of looking for root causes making a step wise protocol to fix it applied the protocol in several of my patients see phenomenal results their lifestyle improved their all these symptoms that they have been going through for years which even the medicine could not fix this protocol was able to fix within 4 to 6 months a lot of them were able to get off the medicines a lot of them you know their antibody levels were getting better their thyroid numbers were getting better so this was again like you know a big aha moment like i i said well this is working So that prompted me to write the book about reversing Hashimoto's to give hope to people that they can do something to tackle this disease and get their life back from it. And that's what I do now seeing clients virtually all over the world uh getting them through this functional medicine journey to help them get their life back from Hashimoto's and thyroid disorders. Mhm. And obviously uh the book Reversing Hashimoto's the word reversing there might seem quite bold to someone just looking into things for the first time or they've been told by their healthcare provider that this is something you have for life and that we have to manage rather than uh treat cure reverse uh how would you describe that to be um scientifically correct like can one achieve complete reversal of hashimotos absolutely so again this reversal word that we have can mm. mean different things right mm-hmm. so the give the biggest example i give is that let's say a person you know like gets a common cold right mm. and the common cold happens they take a medicine for it the common cold goes away now if we say that the person is cured of common cold do we say that the common cold cannot come back in the future well it can obviously if you do get exposed to the virus or the bacteria that can come back but for that particular time we are free of disease mm-hmm. and that's what you know we call as reversal you know in also hashimotos thing because hashimotos is hap- we first of all we need to understand there is a reason for hashimotos disease to happen yeah and if we do continue to have exposure to those reasons then yes the disease can come back or it will not completely get better but if we identify those reasons and if we work on them then several of our clients their antibody levels have gone back to zero or normal levels mm-hmm. so the if the, everything is normal in their body that's reversal for the disease that's what right. we call 
and and more importantly is that how a person is feeling right because again we are treating a person and not a lab if i reverse a disease and the person is still feeling all the symptoms then again that purpose is defeated mm-hmm. so for me it's both that you know there all the symptoms of hashimotos are gone plus their lab numbers are also looking better that's the complete reversal of disease and we see it happening in a lot of people mhm and so can we talk about some of the symptoms that people might be displaying uh whether they know it's hashimotos that's potentially on the table for them or not coming into your office and saying doc okay this is what's going on uh what is most commonly reported absolutely so the hashimotos you know like actually is a autoimmune condition of your thyroid where mm. your th- body starts producing the antibodies that destroy the thyroid gland and ultimately it causes hypothyroidism mm-hmm. and that's that is actually what causes majority of the symptoms in the body so actually each and every organ system of a body is affected because of this disease and that's the reason the symptoms are many so the most common symptoms are people feel very tired or fatigued that their energy levels are low and they just cannot function or they feel a difference in their energy as compared to like let's say 5 years or 10 years the second most common symptom is that people gain weight or are not able to lose weight especially in females they will gain they will gain weight during their pregnancy and post delivery they are not able to lose weight doesn't matter what they do and people will say well it was just because of the pregnancy well they might have an underlying thyroid or hashimotos problem that they don't know about Mm. the third symptom is brain fog you know the brain fog typically is being described is that their mental capacity is not the same as before that they feel that you know their memory is not good they are not able to concentrate long times or they are forgetting small things or they are forgetting names you know all of those things constitute the brain fog so that's again a very major problem then comes the mood changes you know like people feel stressed out or anxious or low mood or depressed that is also a major symptom then comes the gut related symptoms of either constipation diarrhea bloating cramping those are again symptoms which can be associated with it mm-hmm. then comes you know the female menstrual issues you know either dysmenorrhea which is like you know excessively painful menstrual periods or irregular periods or even infertility mm-hmm. can also be related to hashimotos then skin issues dry skin you know like hives you know that can also be associated as well as cold intolerance that they feel cold all the time you know like that is another symptom of it mhm then chronic pain issues you know like you know all over the body muscle aches joint pains those are also associated with it hair problems like hair thinning hair loss so <laughs> i'm like when is he going to stop listing things <laughs> exactly so that's going to say that you know we can keep going and there might be a few more others that i have missed mm. so could But... we could it be said then that because um thyroid hormone synthesis is happening kind of everywhere and at a cellular level even that is why it presents as a multi system symptom picture well the thyroid hormone production happens only in the thyroid gland mm-hmm. but each and every cell of our body each and every organ of our body needs thyroid hormone exactly so each, yes each and every cell has receptors for thyroid hormones and that's the reason you know like it is so important even mm. when we are a baby in our mommy's womb when we are growing if 
we do not have enough thyroid hormone our brain doesn't develop so wow. such is the importance of the thyroid hormone that even in pregnancy like whenever females are going to their obgyn they are making sure that the thyroid hormone levels are really good because that you know that can affect the brain development of the child Mm-hmm. so it's very important you know for each and every organ of our body and without the thyroid hormone there will be no life that's yeah. what people know about that's it and i think a lot of people you know coming into this normalization of compartmentalization of medicine where you're just looking at this one area and treating it um you know a lot of people find it really hard to wrap their head around that holistic approach but the the it's like a you know a holistic dentist is going to say there's a body attached to a mouth a, a thyroid doctor is going to say there's a whole bunch of stuff happening around that thyroid gland everything is in relationship just like in nature and that is absolutely true and that's where you know like we have to look at these chronic diseases in a total different lens mm. so you know like 100 years ago or 50 years ago the main reason of people dying were these communicable diseases which is these infections like mm-hmm. bad bacteria you know like epidemics you know like that people have seen with right so those infections you know those were like just uh, because of one reason you get exposed to that particular virus or that bacteria and then if we kill that virus or the bacteria then we can save you from dying right yeah. so that's where the origination of conventional medicine happens and that's what we still are believing that there is only one reason for a particular disease and for chronic diseases that's not true and that's the reason conventional model is completely failing to address all of these chronic diseases especially thyroid and hashimotos mm-hmm. because they have multiple reasons which are coming together and causing this particular disease Mm-hmm. and unless we identify all the reasons and work on all of them this disease doesn't get better and most people obviously like have no understanding of it because again they're still thinking okay tell me what why did i get it and tell me that one reason well there is just not one reason and that's the exact problem we have to look for multiple reasons and that's the whole point of doing a holistic approach because those reasons might be unrelated to thyroid those reasons might be in your gut and you said well how is my gut related to my thyroid or these reasons might be related to like you know some other toxin somewhere else in your body and again how does that may affect my thyroid right yeah so we feel that all these reasons or anything if it is happening it should be around that particular organ which is the thyroid but that's not true as you correctly pointed out we are a complete human being Mm-hmm. we are not fragmented or we are not different parts of a machine that has been put together we are a complete human being all these systems are working in conjunction with each other yeah absolutely and so i, I want to get into what some of the things are that set the stage for the 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 condition to arise but before we do that can we talk about testing uh because people are still finding it hard to pry from their doctors a complete thyroid analysis they're just getting their tsh given to them being told it's within the normal range even if it's at the very high or the very low of normal it's normal and off you go still feeling awful and you know i often recommend to people especially we have a course called preconception ninja we have a fantastic functional med doctor in there who talks all about 
the importance of thyroid testing um, and uh, especially as it pertains to fertility, as you mentioned before. Um, and, uh, and I recommend just say you will pay for it. Just put this, say, I don't care if you don't want to test it. I want to test it. I get that you're under pressure to not test anything that's unnecessary from the government or, you know, insurance companies or whatever, but just say, I'll pay for it. That way no one has to worry about anything. And that usually helps to get uh, a, a bit more information. But can I get you, given you are seeing patients in day in, day out on this, to give your ultimate thyroid assessment panel? Like, what does that look like for you? Absolutely. So, you know, you correctly pointed out majority of the people, first of all, have no idea whether they have ever been checked for Hashimoto's or not. Mm. Because that's, again, not the conventional way of checking things for your thyroid. They are more than happy just to check your TSH because that's the only thing they know how to treat. Mm -hmm. There is no treatment available according to conventional medicine for Hashimoto's disease. So that's the reason if they don't have a treatment for it, why do you even check for it, right? Mm. So that's the case. So that's the reason they're not checking for Hashimoto's disease. But in functional medicine, we know that, you know, because it's an autoimmune condition, we can take care of autoimmune conditions and improve it and thereby safeguarding the thyroid gland. So first of all, that's the thyroid hormone panel, which everybody should get. doesn't matter whether they have Hashimoto's or low thyroid or hypothyroid or Graves disease, which includes the TSH, the thyroid stimulating hormone. Then that comes to free T4, okay, which is one of the thyroid hormone your thyroid gland produces. And then comes the free T3. So the difference between the free T4 and T3 is that basically it's it depend, uh, you have to understand how the thyroid hormone is being produced in our body. So it starts actually in your brain. So our master endocrine gland in the brain is a pituitary gland. That is the, uh, the brain uh, hormone which secretes the TSH, which is the thyroid stimulating hormone. Most people don't know is that that is not an actual thyroid hormone. That is just a signaling hormone that goes from your pituitary to your thyroid gland and tells the thyroid gland to start producing thyroid hormone. Mm. We are just checking the signaling hormone. We are not actually checking the re like you know the actual thyroid hormone. Now the thyroid gland once they get the signal starts producing the T4 hormone, which is kind of the inactive thyroid hormone. Now, this T4 hormone goes and circulates all over your body and within the cells, then it needs to be converted from T4 to T3. So T3 is the active thyroid hormone that our cells can utilize and do the work. Mm -hmm. So that's the reason we need to check all these three, T TSH, free T4 and T3 also. So we know where we are and where we are lacking in terms of which thyroid hormone is low or high. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing. Then the second thing is testing for Hashimoto's disease. So even these three hormones are not checking for Hashimoto's. For Hashimoto's, you have to get thyroid antibodies checked. Two thyroid antibodies are one is TPO, which is a thyroid peroxidase antibody. And the other one is thyroglobulin antibodies. Mm -hmm. Now, if any of these antibodies are higher than the reference range given by that lab, that is diagnostic of Hashimoto's. You don't need to go for any other advanced testing to prove that you have Hashimoto's. Mm -hmm. That itself is diagnostic. So these are the basic tests I think each and every person should get to know whether they have Hashimoto's, first of all. And second of all, also knowing what the thyroid is doing in terms of the thyroid hormone panel. Great. And reverse T3, are you a fan of getting that one in the picture as well? 
not really i was a very big fan a while ago until mm. i was working at the cleveland clinic and we were ordering a lot of reverse t3 and the lab actually had called us and said that you know you're ordering this reverse t3 but the problem is this you know because each and every lab machine has to be calibrated in a certain standards and they say that for the reverse t3 there are no set standards so we don't even know what we are reporting you know is actually how much accurate it is and whether it is changing each and every day so he wow. said there is literally doesn't matter which lab you go to that's the case mm. so then we said well if i if i'm basing my decisions you know like on a lab which even the lab is not 100% sure how accurate it is then i stopped ordering it that much Mm. and basically like you know if reverse t3 is high there are a couple of reasons for it to be high and we just kind of assume everybody it will be high and we start working on those reasons mm. there is no medicine that can lower the reverse t3 mm. right so we just work on those natural ways of assuming that everybody's reverse t3 is high which are natural things like you know stress will cause reverse t3 to go high and toxin will cause it to go it high Mm. So anyways those are the two problems that each and every thyroid patients we have to work to get them better. I was so going to say uh, yeah because then you know you're bringing in those nutrients like selenium and the, so it's not so much about the granular look at a value of reverse T3 but it's that that whole picture is going to show that that person would need those sorts of nutrients supplements uh and potential medications anyway. absolutely and that's the reason so i'm kind of very practical guy because i've done this for a long time so if mm. a lab value or a particular test is not going to add value in terms of the protocol and if it is just for information purposes i say well why to even waste my time and money because these tests are expensive right sometimes yeah. it's it is not covered by the insurance and you know you have to go to a specialized lab to do it so why do we even order a test when it is not going to change the protocol Mm-hmm. so that's where you know like we order very specific tests which we know that is absolutely necessary to find that root cause and that will definitely be helpful for changing our protocol great and how common is it for someone to have a tsh in the normal range but to then have elevated antibodies oh very common mm. the problem is that we are not doing complete testing you know yeah. because all these females are going to the doctors and they're getting the tss check oh everything is normal go home mm-hmm. i tell them check your antibody levels you have all the symptoms they will be high but when they go to the doctors they completely say no if your tss is normal there is no recommendation to ordering the antibodies i cannot do that mm. so they they will just not order it but yeah. there is a very big percentage of population who have the symptoms their tsh is normal but their thyroid antibodies will be positive that's very early stage that's actually stage 1 of hashimotos and if we can capture that stage that is the most easiest stage to reverse it mm-hmm. but unfortunately most of the time we miss that stage and we capture hashimotos in either second stage or the third stage mhm wow okay and so uh then in terms of what we do once we want to start investigating what set the stage for this to happen where do we look it, is that when you take a full clinical history and look at the various stressors the various potential environmental toxins um those are things that people kind of uh often know now especially in our community to 
start ticking the boxes. Oh, yes, I did live in that moldy apartment for a year or actually that was the year I got divorced and now this is happening and we've just been through so much stress as a family. So um, less common might be other things that you would certainly be able to share with us that you've found and they haven't even had that on their radar. They thought, what, that could be a contributor? What what would some of those be? So I think what I've identified is that there are five major categories, you know, mm. of root causes, you know, at this point of time that we know of are causing Hashimoto's disease. So the very first category is the food sensitivities, right? Yeah. Food is medicine, but the wrong foods definitely can cause problems with a lot of people. So we are seeing more and more people being sensitive to gluten, dairy, soy, corn, sugar, you know, processed food, processed meats, all of those things we know that can be harmful and people can react to them. And definitely that can trigger something called leaky gut for people. And that ultimately leads to Hashimoto's or thyroid condition. Mm -hmm. So food sensitivities is the one reason. The second reason is nutritional deficiencies. Now, this is what a lot of people actually are not aware of. People think, well, I'm eating a very nutritious or a very healthy diet. So there is no way that I'm low in vitamins and minerals. Now, here's the thing. There was a recent research study done. It actually checked the food crops from 1980s to 2010. Oh, gosh, and what don't. They saw... <laughs> I know what you're going to say. Tell us, go, tell us. And what they said or what they saw was that even with the same methods of growing and everything, the nutritious profile of the current crops are much lower than what it was in 1980s. Mm. So all the nutrients, all the minerals like selenium, magnesium, zinc that our body needs are low in our food. Mm. So even though we are eating the most nutritious diet because our body is not getting those vitamins and minerals, we might be low about it. Mm -hmm. And the deal is that a thyroid needs a lot of different vitamins and minerals to produce thyroid hormone, right? And that's, that's exactly those vitamins and minerals were low into our current food. So people might not be aware of it and they might be low into that. So that's the second big category. Now, the third big category is obviously the stress, right? Yeah. As you pointed out correctly, divorces, you know, like, or even like bad relationships or even distress at work, even post-delivery. Mm. Pregnancy can be uh, post delivery can be a big uh, stressor for females. Menopause can be a big stressor. So we're talking about. Can I ask for teenage girls? Could puberty also be such a stressor? Yeah, so that's what we are seeing more and more uh, females at younger age when they hit their puberty are being diagnosed with Hashimoto's. We were not mm. seeing that twenty years ago, but in the last ten years, we are seeing more and more younger females being diagnosed. Mm -hmm. So this is again a big stressor, you know, for all of the, uh, for females and even different kinds of males for different reasons. That's the third reason. The fourth is toxins. You know, again, heavy metals like lead or mercury or mold toxins, you know, in our environment or even environmental toxins. All the, all those are going to phosphates, all those chemicals that are being poured into our daily environment from various sources, again, play a very, very major role. Now, this is an important thing, like a lot of females don't know about all the skin products they oh, are yes. using. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, they don't know that the skin is the biggest organ of our body. And anything you put on the skin does get absorbed into your blood. Mm. Now, a lot of females will think, oh, it's just a small you know, product that I'm using. You know, how much of the toxin can it have? Well, even small amount of toxins, what it does is that it gets absorbed into your blood, and thyroid is like a sponge. 
it absorbs or accumulates all these toxins. So it might not harm you on day one, but yes, day 500, that toxin levels increase at a very high load and starts affecting your thyroid. So that's a major issue that, you know, toxins. And then comes the infections. We know Epstein-Barr virus infection, which is the infectious mononucleosis, a reactivation of that can cause it. But more importantly, intestinal parasites can cause it. The most common being something called blastocystis. There was a couple of research studies which does show clearly that presence of blastocystis can trigger Hashimoto's disease or thyroid problems. Candida infections are again big ones. A lot of people are suffering from candida infection that can again alter your immunity and cause these infections, like, you know, cause Hashimoto's. And then comes the less common ones like Lyme disease or Bartonella or Babesia. Those are again like, you know, opportunistic infections or chronic infections. And sometimes they can also alter our immunity and cause it. Mm. So these are the five big categories, you know, which definitely are playing a role. And as I said, people will have more than two plus root causes. Mm. So just saying that, okay, well, you know, yes, my diet was poor or I went through the stress is not enough. We have to look at all the root causes and identify, work on all of them. Then only we'll get better. It's, I mean, it's, true and it's great to know but for someone who is hearing all of that thinking oh my gosh but how am I going to do my life perfectly and I put that in inverted commas because that in itself can be a stress because right now it's also for many people especially in urban areas almost countercultural to live in a way that actually promotes health. And so we're in this kind of weird little holding pattern where I think some big shifts are happening and people are seeking to live life differently and do life differently, even in the cities, Uh, you know, connecting to farmers markets, spending more time in nature, really making sure we're balancing out some of those urban stressors or urban pollutants. Um, But I I sometimes worry that the stress of trying to live as healthily as possible is also then contributing to ill health because of the obsessiveness of trying to do everything perfectly. Have you found that in clinic? Absolutely. I tell all of these things to my clients, like all of the steps they need to take. But in the end, my plug-in is that do not try to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Perfection is a myth, according to me. Yeah. You know, if you're going to be trying to be perfect, I have done this. Try to be perfect, you know, when my health struggles were there. Because once you're suffering, you want to get better, right? Mm-hmm. And when you try to get better, then, you know, obviously you try to overdo things. So I tell people, do not try to be perfect. This is a process. You cannot treat it as a 100-meter sprint. This is a marathon. I'm telling you the way. I'm not telling you that you follow this all these different ways today. I'm making you aware and you start from where it makes it easier for you to start. For a lot of people, diet is the easiest way to start. Mm. And stress management is the most difficult piece to start for them, right? Yeah. So I said, just pick, you know, like I'm giving you these five options. Pick from wherever you want to start. We are going to work on them. And slowly and slowly, you know, you will get better. Even Mm -hmm. in the future, a lot of people are coming, Dr. Gupta, I messed up. I ate gluten, you know, like accidentally. I said, okay, that's fine. You like, am I on like, you know, going back all the way to square one? I said, no, you're not going to square one. 
And I tell people, this is going to happen in the future. Life is life. We cannot control life. This is not under our control. What we can do is that first we have to identify which are our major problems, which are our minor problems. And then try to kind of modify a lifestyle in terms of we can control a few things here and there. And then also have the ability to have these things in the backhand. Whenever I get exposed to, let's say, gluten and I get these symptoms, I can take these certain supplements for a few days that will help me to negate the effect of what my body went through so I can heal very quickly. Mm. So it's all being aware of your body, of what your body is telling you, of where the problem lies. Because as I said, some people might have gluten as a problem, but the other people might have soy as a problem. The yeah. third person has stress as a problem. The food doesn't bother them at all. So I tell them to start listening to your body. When you work with me, I said the end result should be that after that few months, you should be aware of your body so much that you should be able to tell what is your major problem and what is your minor problem. And trust me, everybody says, oh, there is no way, you know, I can do that. I'm not so much aware. I said, well, trust me, each and every person will be able to do it. And happily, I can say that after working with us, people are able to identify things and they can say, okay, well, this is my problem. If I stay away from this, I'm happy. I said, good. Now, you know. Yeah. Amazing. That, that, and again, that awareness, I guess we, we want to cultivate a relaxed awareness like a curious, oh yeah, I see what's happening here rather than, oh my God, it was the gluten and now that's why I'm bloated. And, you know, there are different, there are two completely different ways to approach a setback or a, a faux pas. Uh, and if I think is something that I have learned and worked with coaching clients and students on is bringing a healthy curiosity to something that's not right rather than panic and catastrophe in terms of your mindset. That is absolutely true because I think you are so correct that, you know, we have created this environment, this online environment with each right? and every person yeah. is creating much more fear. Oh, don't do, don't eat this. Don't eat that. Literally every day I'm hearing like a new person coming up. Oh, this particular food had this issue or this chemical. Don't eat this. This is hurting you. I said, if you listen to each and every person, you literally not able to eat <laughs> a single food in your life. Right. So that is not the case. I said, you know, like we have to look at the research about it. Yes, mm. there will be chemicals in each and every food, but that doesn't mean that every food is bad for us. So you know, we are creating this world in the functional medicine realm also. We are doing so restrictive diets for people. Mm. Just eat these five foods. These are the best foods. And I feel that is not right. You know, most of the research studies kind of tell us that we have to eat varieties of food. Each and every category of food has its own benefit. Mm -hmm. So instead of creating fear of this food is bad, I want to create that, you know, like happiness around the food that, okay, well, I'm eating good foods. Just kind of, you know, focus more on eating the right foods. Don't focus on not eating the wrong foods. Mm -hmm. Because if your tummy is full with all the right foods, then there is no room for the for the wrong foods. Mm -hmm. So then why are you bother about thinking about the wrong food? Just thinking about, okay, these are the foods that I eat and then these are the foods I can eat. And eat a variety of foods. So no fear, you know, like that's what is very important. You know, like I think we are creating a new culture of fear around food, around each and everything which again is not very healthy. No. Uh, yeah. It's like we're trying to be in control of something. We also don't understand what we need to be in control of. 
And that is the ultimate uh, disempowerment in the health conversation if that's where we're ending up. And I, I feel that the conflicting ideas around what is healthy and what is perfect uh, and as you say, there's a lot of fear-based selling. I hate fear-based selling um, because, you know, they're the people who end up ashamed after two weeks of doing the protocol perfectly that it, they're not getting the results that that person said they should be getting and is it me and, oh, it was obviously that one piece of cheese I had last Saturday. <laughs> you just think, no, no. But I do want to ask then about gluten, dairy, other foods, um, diet sensitivities, what do you feel are the best ways for people to find out whether a particular food in their mix is one of the foods that may be contributing to the Hashimoto's uh, elevated antibodies? Because as you said, like gluten might be it for one person, but it might not be for the next person. And, uh, you know, are there it, where are we at with testing on sensitivities? Are we getting better at getting the right data? I know there's been so many mixed bags of um, offerings in terms of deciding what you're sensitive or allergic to um, and a lot of inaccuracies that put people on paths for yonks, uh, years, sorry, that's an Australian word, uh, uh, then they realise actually I could have been eating that, um, I don't know, whatever, the corn or whatever. Um, do you have any advice in that realm? Because people get so confused and no one knows what to eat when they're unwell these days. So no one knows still, mm. you know, that is the answer to that. You know, like there is no perfect test. A lot of people are coming to see us saying that, you know, can I do the food sensitivity test? I said, still, we do not have a perfect food sensitivity test. Mm -hmm. There are some tests better than the others, but still there is no perfection in there. So that's where we kind of get into trouble with a lot of times. So what we have settled down is the, the way I can just share my approach. You know, obviously that's not, the only approach that people have. Uh, so the approach is that, you know, first of all, we try to remove food, which we know that majority of people are sensitive to, right? Mm -hmm. Which is the gluten, the dairy, the soy, the corn, and the processed food and the meats and the sugars. We want to remove them for at least four to six weeks. And then after that, we try to kind of re start reintroducing them one at a time to see what we do. Mm. And then I tell people to introduce one food at a time and watch very closely for your symptoms and how they're feeling, any difference in their bodies. Mm -hmm. And once they feel a difference, then we say that, okay, that particular food is definitely, you know, like their body is not ready. Again, a lot of people just ask me this question. Okay, well, if I'm sensitive to gluten, is it going to be lifelong for me? Yeah, it's that comes not. up a lot. Yeah. So I tell people, well, nobody knows that because our body is at different healing stages. Maybe like one year down the lane, your body has healed up so much that it can tolerate gluten in a small amount of time. Mm. So I just tell people, you know, like do this reintroduction. But if your body is telling you right now that this particular food is not for you, then it does make sense to stay away from it. Mm -hmm. Then maybe another three to four months, try reintroducing it again and see how you do. And if you reach that point where your body is telling you that the food is fine, then maybe here and there you can have that food. Mm -hmm. So that's the best way of doing it. Sometimes, you know, like we just are not able to identify those foods. That's the time I use sometimes testing to kind of give us some direction 
into is there any particular food except for the ones that we know most commonly that are problem for that particular person. Mm -hmm. And then based on the testing, we try to eliminate that problem foods, which the test shows for a certain amount of time and see again if we see a difference. Yeah, nice. But we only order the test only for people which we are not getting the desired result or we are just completely lost. Yeah. Otherwise, eliminating the food for four to six weeks and doing a systemic reintroduction. I think at this point of time, that's the safest and the best way of knowing whether a food is bad for a particular person or not. Mm -hmm. And in the time that they're eliminated, is there work that you're then doing on the resilience piece around a digestive function, uh, gut healing, whether it's through supplements or, or other protocols um, that are, are working to kind of build a stronger constitution from the ground up anyway? Because that would Absolutely. play a big part, right? Absolutely. Yes. So definitely, you know, we start working on the leaky gut aspect of our gut so that, you know, gut gets stronger. We work on their gut microbiome to rebalance the good and the bad bacteria. Then you work on the gut immunity to kind of make it more stronger. So again, you know, uh, that way it can rebalance the inflammation. We work on reducing the inflammation in the body, in the gut and the body so that again, you know, your body starts functioning in a better level. Mm -hmm. So that's what all those different aspects of things we are working when people are eliminating those things yeah. uh, to work on that. And do you have patients who seem to do better with certain foods in other parts of the world? Like for me, I can eat gluten in France. I can't eat it here in Australia. And I often yeah. think it's about the hybridization that particular agriculture has gone through, or maybe it's the synthetic inputs, the chemicals that might be being used. So it's, sometimes it's not the food, it's the how. And we know that with meat, right? That they're polar opposite products. Can, you know, and That is absolutely true yeah. because you work from people from all over the world. So we have seen somehow that certain countries in Europe, mm. most people, when they go over there and they have gluten or dairy, they feel fine. Mm. Or even some countries in South America, like, you know, uh, that people also feel good. Like a, a client of mine was from Chile. I mean, she was living in U.S. and she will swear that, you know, like in U.S., as soon as she will enter, she will have a piece of dairy and then she will flare up. And Chile, because she was from a village over there, they have their own cow and she will just drink milk and cheese and yogurt all the time. And she will stay there for two or three months. Mm. And that will just not bother her at all. And she tried it two or three times. So yes, absolutely correct that, you know, like different parts of the world, you know, like I think, you know, people react differently to different foods. Again, that's obviously the theory that, you know, it might be different way it is processed or, you know, the environment is different. But that is a very interesting point that I've seen personally. I don't know the exact reason for it yet, though. Yeah. And to throw another th thought into that equation is something I've pondered is, do we feel more relaxed in some settings? So our nervous system is completely calm or very happy or deeply aligned. And therefore, of course, peristalsis works better in those conditions, the full gut function works better uh, and we're less reactive in general when we're feeling like that, say, on holidays in those places or back home where you feel the comfort of your parents, like in that village in Chile. So I, I sometimes wonder about that emotional nervous system, um, the intangible, if you like, in the equation. 
Absolutely. And that is definitely a great possibility because obviously most people, you know, you know, like our majority of our clients are from US. So when they're going to Europe or to South America, they're going for vacation. Mm. So anybody feels good on vacation, right? <laughs> yeah. So obviously they are right. much more relaxed. There is no work pressure. You know, they are kind of just, you know, chilling out and things. So absolutely that could be playing a role, especially if we know that the vagus nerve, which is the longest nerve in our body, you know, creates such a big impact into our gut health and our immune health and those things. Mm. And obviously, like when you're relaxed and when doing the right things, you know, certainly that, you know, your biggest nerve health also gets better. And then comes obviously the sympathetic and the parasympathetic, you know, like the nervous system balance, mm-hmm. which is better. So that could be playing a role for sure. Yeah. And let's talk about uh, conventional treatment versus um, functional. And a lot of people wonder whether they're going to have to be on medication for their whole lives. Uh, Obviously, we're talking about reversing it. So that would allude to it being possible to come off medications. But how does one uh, sort of sensibly navigate that journey uh, when maybe they're working with information they're finding online and they're feeling that they're getting better, but their doctor's perhaps scared to take them off medication. Um, what do you have any advice for people who are uh, walking that path? I will still say that, you know, like, you know, whenever you're trying to stop the medicine, you should be doing it under a trained professional. Mm. Doing it on your own can backfire a lot of times, yeah. right? So not everybody can get off the medicine and the medicine is not the enemy. Mm. I always tell people, you know, like yeah. the medicine is there for a reason. What we're talking about is beyond medicine. So yes, you know, like there are side effects of the medicine. Yes. You know, like it doesn't agree with a lot of people, but again, being safe is definitely the topmost priority for me, for any of my clients. Mm. So working with a provider, you know, or finding a provider by online or whoever that is, who can work with you to get off the medicine will be very important. Yeah. Second question in terms of, is it possible? Yes, it is possible, but doesn't happen in each and every person. Mm. Because the way you have to understand is that if you do have Hashimoto's disease, that is an autoimmune condition. These antibodies are damaging your thyroid gland. Mm. Now, let's say if you had Hashimoto's disease for 10 plus years, we do not know how much thyroid gland is being destroyed. And maybe you have thyroid gland, which is destroyed, which is not able to keep up with the thyroid hormone demand of your body. So Mm -hmm. you need the thyroid hormone. We still do not have a perfect test that I can do an ultrasound or any other scan to check how much thyroid gland is destroyed. So we do not have that test. So we only have to rely on the blood markers. And sometimes we have to go with that and plus the symptoms. Mm -hmm. So what I have seen is then this, and this is a very, very loose kind of assumption or things that I throw at people is that if they have had Hashimoto's disease or thyroid disease for more than 10 years, then most likely they will need some kind of thyroid support. Mm -hmm. Or if their thyroid medicine dosage has gone beyond 75 micrograms or close to 100, Mm -hmm. then again, most people will need some thyroid support. They can reduce the dosage, but you know, like they will still have to be on some thyroid support, whether that's a medicine, whether that's a like a desiccated thyroid or something, they will need that. Yeah. Again, that's a very loose assumption. That's not based on research or anything. That's just my own observation and experience. Mm. And I think important to say someone hasn't failed if they need to incorporate that in their overall um, health plan. 
Exactly. And I tell people is that, you know, like, again, just forget about the medicine. If you're feeling perfectly fine today, mm. well, that's great. But if you're not living your life to the fullest potential, where you're feeling a little bit tired, that is kind of, you know, affecting your energy to, you know, cultivate a hobby or help your family or do something else, or you are not, or you're having pain or you're feeling forgetting things or anything in mood wise, also, you're not doing good. Mm. then I think it is worth doing these things because that is going to help you to live your life to the fullest. We're going to improve your quality of life. Now in that, as a side effect, if you're able to get off the medicine or reduce the dose of the medicine, just consider as a good side effect and be happy about that bonus. Yeah. But if you're not able to do it, that should not be the only reason. Mm. Doing the correct thing for your body, for your thyroid should be the main reason. And you are going to see results definitely on how you feel. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Anshul. Um, now, I asked our audience uh, to submit some Hashimoto's questions for anyone who had any. And I feel like we've actually covered a lot. Uh, but there's one here that says, can adrenals play a role in TPO antibodies? Absolutely. So again, you know, like the, our endocrine system is mm. all connected to each other. It's like a symphony, right? You know, the symphony, there are so many different instruments which are playing. Even if one instrument doesn't sound good, the whole symphony, like, you know, doesn't sound great. Yeah. So that's with our own body, especially our endocrine system. So our thyroid and adrenals are kind of very well connected. The thyroid hormone basically kind of helps our adrenal, which adrenal produces two hormones, cortisol hormones and our adrenal hormones, right? So cortisol is a main stress hormone. So if we have low thyroid hormone, our cortisol hormone cannot function properly in the body. And the it's a two-way street. So when our cortisol levels are too high, then what it does is that it causes thyroid hormone resistance. Mm. Basically, our cells are not able to utilize the thyroid hormone itself, which is present in our body. So that's the case. And high cortisol levels are high inflammatory conditions for our body. So whenever there is inflammation in the body, it obviously triggers, you know, excessive production of the thyroid peroxidase antibodies. And we see that most people, when they are stressed out or go through very stressful situation, they will always get a flare up of their thyroid symptoms. Yeah. And if you check their thyroid antibodies, that will definitely be higher as compared to when their body is working at a good, uh, like, you know, at a relaxed state. Mm. And it just stress keeps coming up. And with the, the five different root causes that we talked about before, they're all stressors. So it feels like the major project here is to identify which are the major stresses that are contributing to either this flare-up or this diagnosis. Absolutely, yes. You know, like, you know, anything which is external to our body or I will say, quote-unquote, not normal for our body is a stressor, right? Mm. It can be physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. It can be food-related. It can be toxin-related. All of these are external or not normal for a body. So body perceives them as stress. So very important to identify which are your stressors, which are kind of damaging your body, and then work on them um, to reduce them and eliminate them. And certainly body will start feeling better. Mm. Uh, I've got a question here uh, with can postpartum thyroiditis turn into Hashimoto's, how can I prevent this? Well, 
that's a bigger topic you know i mm. think you know when you said that you are running that uh, like course you know preconception course and i'm so glad you're doing it because in today's world we feel we are not preparing females to get pregnant yeah. right everybody thinks oh it's so easy i can just you know i according to my life schedule i am just going to plan the baby like you know tomorrow or day after i'm not going to prepare my body for it mm. no having a baby itself is a big stressor for a female's body right because you are growing a big human being inside your body so not only you have to sustain yourself you have to sustain the baby mm. so to prevent the postpartum things you have to first work on the preconception period prepare your body you know get good nutrition in there you know make sure you are removing these stressors reducing inflammation and all that stuff during the pregnancy obviously like kind of again keep working on the body and then after that again you know post pregnancy everything goes crazy so i cannot say that you know your stress will be gone because having a baby yes your life is going to be different and unfortunately majority of the onus of taking care of the baby falls on the mother Mm-hmm. So that part is not going to change, but if you prepare your body to kind of handle that stress once the baby comes in, then obviously your body is going to react less. Then there is a less chance of having developing that postpartum thyroiditis. And then even if that is case, that is again not a death sentence. Again, if you start working on your body and all those things, you can still get better. You can still reverse it. Yeah, that's so important to say because a lot of people sometimes. will focus in on the oh but i didn't know about all this stuff when i was in preconception mode and think oh i've missed my chance but that's not true you can always be starting from where you are at today absolutely yes you know like i always tell people oh well you know i didn't knew better at that point of time mm. i said we all are learning you know like i still do not know i call myself that i do still do not know 100% about each and everything yeah and still every day we are all learning so you are correct that you didn't knew better but that was your past but now you know better now what can you do to kind of make things better focus on that mm. and that's is that is the main thing you know we cannot live in the future we cannot live in the past the only thing we have is a present yeah so whatever you have in the present whatever you can do just do it Mm. A really good one here from uh Pip who's saying is diet and exercise enough? I'm on so many supplements from my naturopath. It is costing me a fortune. Uh and th- th- this is a reality for a lot of people who go and see a holistic healthcare professional wh- whatever um qualification they have is that sometimes we end up just swapping medication for supplements almost you know instead of really working on what those key stressors are i can't tell you how many times people have had thyroid issues and just didn't know about mold for example uh as a potential stressor and then once you worked on that a lot of things improved um so would you say if someone's having to subsist on you know 10 plus different types of supplements ongoing with no real end date or plan that there are probably things that still need uncovering as to what's going on absolutely correct yes you know like you know obviously a lot of people come to see us they are on bucket load of supplements 20 30 40 why i'm taking this for this and that 
I said, well, you're taking these things, but do you have these problems? How do you know you have these problems, right? Mm -hmm. Has anybody evaluated you? And most people have, they said, I have no idea. I was just told that, you know, you need to take these things. Mm. So these supplements are there for a reason, right? If we think that these supplements can improve our health, can reverse a disease, they can make things worse too then. They have the potential for that also. And not all supplements are created equal, right? There are at least 100 supplements out there in the market which can be important or useful for thyroid patients. But we don't use all those 100 supplements in each and every thyroid patient. That's where we need to know what the problem is. And if you have been taking these supplements for one year or two years and still feeling kind of crap, then bottom line is that, you know, yes, these are not the right supplements for you. Something else needs to be looked at. Mm. Because everybody's taking a supplement, right? People start coming to see us and they said, well, what different are you going to do? I'm already doing the diet. I'm already taking, you know, like 50 supplements. <laughs> so, and what, you know, what is the magic bullet you have? I said, the magic bullet is that identifying what is wrong with you. Mm. It seems like nobody has identified that. And that's the reason you have to take so many supplements and you are on this perpetual diet that you are calling for so many years. I said, our clients that work with us are not on diets and not on supplements for years and years. Yes, we have this four to six months where we are working them, identifying the problem and fixing them through diet and supplements. But beyond that, you don't have to take supplements. Mm. The only reason to take supplements is that because we have limitations in what we can do, right? A lot of people are vegan or vegetarian. Well, their omega-3 levels cannot be good. They might be low in zinc. They might be low in B12. That comes with their choices. And again, nothing against it. That's perfectly fine. You know, like, again, this is a big debate of what is the best diet out there, right? So I don't want to get into that. But that's what I'm saying, right? A lot of people hate seafood. They cannot eat seaweeds or sea vegetables. Uh, so they might benefit with a little bit of iodine supplement just to mm. kind of help with that, right? A lot of people are living in areas which do not get any sunlight. So they might be low in vitamin D, right? Mm -hmm. They cannot, like, you know, leave their houses and go into a sunny places. Yeah, or even seasonally in that case. Yeah, exactly. So that's, you know, these are limitations that we might need a few supplements based on personal choices or needs or situations. Mm -hmm. But we don't have to need like 20 or even 10 plus supplements on a long term basis. That definitely means that something has been missed. Mm -hmm. And would you say that there are a couple of health insurance type supplements that everybody could benefit from, given you have brought up a couple of times about uh, the lacking uh, nutrients in agriculture today compared to before? Like, is there a little bit of a, a baseline of a couple of things that you tend to keep people on as an insurance policy? I think uh, there are a few supplements, you know, like which universally most people need, like vitamin D is one of those. Mm. You know, most people are low in vitamin D. It doesn't matter how much of the sun exposure they get because it depends on a whole bunch of things. Yeah. So I think you know, a small amount of vitamin D here and there, I think is a good bet for people to have. Omega-3s are another supplement that a lot of people can benefit. If they're eating a lot of fish, that's a different story. But if they're not eating a lot of fish, then beyond that, maintaining your omega-3 levels is difficult. Mm -hmm. So that's the second supplement. The third one is the magnesium. Mm -hmm. Because magnesium is one of those supplements which was low into our food and magnesium participates in more than 300 enzymatic processes in our body. So magnesium actually doesn't get the same limelight as vitamin D does, but it is very important. And the good part about magnesium is that, you know, we do not get toxic on it. So even if you take a magnesium supplement and your body doesn't need a whole bunch of it, you know, like you never get toxic on it. So again, but 
I have never seen anybody like taking too much magnesium into it. Mm -hmm. So I think again, a very important supplement that could be useful. Yeah. I think these are the three ones which I feel a lot of people benefit and can use. Beyond that, probiotics are the other one. Again, I don't recommend using probiotics like perpetually all the time. Mm. You know, especially if your diet is good, you're eating a healthy diet, have a lot of fermented foods. Then I don't think most people need probiotics. But if that is not a possibility, then yes, introducing probiotics here and there could also be useful for people to improve their gut microbiome. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And given you've brought up the gut microbiome, there was actually a question uh, I'll ask two more. This is one of them uh, around gut gut microbiome trends around Hashimoto's. There, is there anything you're seeing? Is there anything the research is showing us about certain strains of uh, different bacteria that seem to be present in either a super healthy person uh, and, oh, wow, you know, healthy people always seem to have really good healthy levels of these strains versus a Hashimoto's patient um, who's displaying a lot of symptoms uh, and what we might be seeing in their guts. So we do not have one particular bacteria of that kind. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the gut microbiome research is also uh, moving. Mm. It is not about one bacteria. It's about looking at the complete picture of the gut microbiome. Mm -hmm. Because again, we have trillions of bacteria. And what we feel is that if one bacteria is not doing its job, we might have the other bacteria helping him or her to do their job. So it's the overall look at the gut microbiome that matters the most as compared to one particular bacteria. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, you know, like as we discussed, definitely parasites and other things can be a problem in that, you know, blastocystis, definitely we have research study that blastocystis is a parasite, which is actually the most common parasite present in the world over issues. Mm. That definitely can be, you know, like responsible for Hashimoto's disease. Candida, as we discussed, is the other one that is present in a lot of situations that can be doing it. Yeah. Some of the good or the safe bacteria like Lactobacillus bifidobacterium, the more they are present in our gut, definitely the more protection they give, you know, uh, for our gut. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Thanks, Doc. Uh, And then the, oh, now I have to choose between these two because I said I was only going to ask one. Uh, have you got time for two more? Sure, absolutely. Let's Amazing. Go. Okay, so this person has asked, Casey's asked, what's the best way to increase iron levels when you have Hashimoto's? Is that common, is it, to have low iron in Hashimoto's? Yes, you know, in females, again, you know, like we do see iron levels being low. Obviously, the most obvious reason is that because for the monthly cycles, they lose a lot of mm. blood and that causes iron deficiency. And plus, you know, like a lot of females can have gut related problems. So even though they might be eating the diet, but that their iron is not getting absorbed from the food that they are eating. Mm-hmm. So in that, so that's the reason it is very common. We see that interestingly, iron is again an important mineral, which is needed for thyroid hormone production. So very important to keep the iron levels good. So in that aspect, obviously diet plays a good role. So, you know, like we all know green leafy vegetables are a good source for iron. So that's what people can do. Mm-hmm. If you do eat uh, animal products, then, you know, certain meats, you know, organ like meats and organ livers can have good amount of iron. That is so the animal products, actually the iron form is much better absorbed as compared to from the plants. 
Mm-hmm. That way, again, if you do incorporate some animal uh, protein or animal meats, that could be useful. Beyond that, taking an iron supplement would be useful. And then obviously working on your gut, seeing that, you know, if you're not digesting your food properly, maybe taking some digestive enzymes that can improve the potential of digesting your food and making that iron more bioavailable in your gut to be absorbed. Mm-hmm. So those are the things that you can do. Fantastic. Uh, and iodine. Now, it seems like doctors are arguing about this and it's feeling like we're going to end up that there's a bit of a Goldilocks situation where you don't want too much, you don't want too little. Uh, and then the, there's the problem I know with urine testing that that's very much just a little snapshot in time and that can have its own inaccuracies and a bit of guesswork around whether that is a true representation of that person's iodine levels. Uh, do you have any advice around iodine while everybody seems to be fighting about it? What is the research showing us most up to date? So research is showing the same thing as you said, that too little of iodine can, can cause Hashimoto's disease and too much of iodine can again cause Hashimoto's disease. And is that, That's- can I ask then, is that because too little and too much cause stress? in the body? So iodine is needed uh, for thyroid hormone production, right? Mm. So obviously, if you are too low in iodine, your body cannot produce enough thyroid hormone. And that definitely causes more pressure or more stress on your thyroid gland. So that's the reason over there. Now, excessive amount of iodine, again, that is kind of a feedback loop. So when there is too much iodine present in our body, that sends the signal to the pituitary gland saying that, well, there is too much of the iodine. I don't need to produce enough thyroid hormone. Mm -hmm. And that again, kind of causes too much problem in that fashion or manner. And that too much iodine again causes destruction because it accumulates in the thyroid follicle. And then it causes destruction of the thyroid follicles. And that's the reason it again triggers that autoimmune reaction and leads to Hashimoto's. Mm-hmm. So that's what the case is. So I will say that, you know, what we are seeing in the modern world, iodine deficiency is very rare. The reason being, you know, like, you know, we have iodine sufficiently present in our food, especially the salt. Our body need doesn't need tons and tons of iodine. So if you're eating mm-hmm. regular table salt, which is iodized, then, you know, most people will have enough iodine into, you know, with them. Mm-hmm. If you do have a thyroid disorder, I rely on food. So I say that, you know, why don't you just increase the iodine containing food, like the seafood, the sea vegetables, you know, those things. Mm-hmm. And if you do take an iodine supplement, just go with the lower dosage of 100 micrograms of 150. A lot of people are taking like 1000 or 2000 micrograms of iodine. I think that's where they get into trouble. Yeah, cool. And then can you have Hashimoto's without it showing up in your antibodies? So I, I got a question around, you know, metabolism and weight gain and the fatigue and like it sounds like Hashimoto's, but they can't find it necessarily. What's going so on a, there? Yeah, so there is a new terminology which is coming up in the medical fraternity, which is the antibody negative Hashimoto's. Mm-hmm. So in that aspect, we are seeing all these classical symptoms of Hashimoto's, but their antibodies are negative. And we are still perplexed of interestingly what is exactly going on, but there are a couple of theories behind it. One of the theories is that thyroid hormone resistance, that the body is not able to produce the thyroid hormone which is present in the body, you know, and at the cellular level. Yeah. And that's the reason it is not yet being shown into the blood work that we are seeing. But, you know, obviously these people are seeing the results. 
The second thing is that, you know, sometimes when the immune system itself is not working at the optimal level, so it is not even able to produce the antibodies because you still need an immune system to produce the antibodies. Mm -hmm. So even though there is a problem ongoing, the, the immune system is not, it's such, in a, such a poor state that it is not able to produce the antibodies enough to be shown on the blood work. So that is another kind of working theory that, you know, uh, that is present. But yes, you know, uh, it is a possibility and it is rare. You don't see it very often, but yes, it is. We do see that often. Anshul, thank you so much. Uh, and especially thank you for uh, extending our time together this morning to go through the audience questions, because I think that really just brings these topics into a really beautiful, personal, oh, wow. And then I got to ask for me because there's so many different people experiencing things. And as a collective, we then make it so much more useful when we're, when we're working with real people questions. Um, I, I think your book is going to make a big difference to many. I know you already do in your practice. And so thank you for writing Reversing Hashimoto's. A lot of people don't know that's even possible. So hopefully from this show and uh, and other people sharing it, that it will uh, get to the people who need it. I want to ask you one final question. I'm totally springing this up on you. You did not know that I was going to be asking you this, but I'm asking every health professional in the name of something we've been talking about today, which is around just relax sometimes. Don't freak out over every little thing that's not perfect. And I always talk about different people have a different low-tox line, right? I get my hair colored. It's still a low-tox version of hair color, but it's not no-tox. Uh, I really like having red toenails. And those are kind of my two things that I just, that's my line and I just don't care. Maybe a gelato in the summertime with friends, maybe some fish and chips on the beach. These are things that I do not worry about when they come up or when I choose to do them. What are your things that you just don't worry about sometimes you just go with the flow um mine is chocolate <laughs> <laughs> i love dark chocolate and yeah. that's definitely a weak point you can say and when it comes to really good dark chocolates i kind of you know uh, would like to try especially if i see like a a new dark chocolate which is coming from outside the country or from like an exotic place that I've never tried. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I'm going for it. I'm trying it out. So that's, mm -hmm. that's one of those things that, you know, I just cannot stop myself and I let myself lose, lose over there for sure. Yeah. So you're not the kind of person to just keep that block in the cupboard and you can just have one small piece each day with dark chocolate. Are you saying that's a bit too tricky for you? That's true. I mean, I yeah. don't go overboard. I will not go with the whole bar uh, because that's definitely too much because then I start feeling that, you know, like a little bit high from the dark chocolate if I eat the whole bar. Yeah. Yes, I'm not stopping, definitely not stopping at one square. Mm -hmm. So that is your vice. Yes. Okay, fair enough. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that with us and thank you so much for your time today. I learned so much and I know everybody listening will have as well. Well, thank you so much for having me over here. You are doing amazing work, you know, of sharing all the great knowledge and helping so many people out there. So thank you for the work that you do. I appreciate that. 
And that is today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. A reminder, we have so many fantastic shows in our archives these days. If this particular topic was helpful to you, head over to lowtoxlife.com forward slash podcast and click on the podcast directory, which gives you food, body, home, mind, and environmental health topics segmented so you can see all the shows that we've done in all of those areas and head straight to what you want. A reminder, we also have 10 fabulous e-courses that I've written with various doctors, naturopaths, health professionals, and experts over the years to support you on your low-tox journey, whether it's making daily swaps, getting ready to make babies, looking after your inflammation, you can hit the courses tab on lowtoxlife.com to explore those. And lastly, I would love to meet you on socials. Go and head over to at lowtoxlife on Instagram or find us on Facebook. It's always such a pleasure to chat and see how you guys are going when you share favorite shows and share them with your friends. I absolutely love that. A little reminder, of course, that all of our shows are not intended as medical advice. They are intended to open the minds and hearts of people and maybe help you explore something you hadn't considered yet, but please always check in with your health professional. And one last little request, if you have time to leave us a review wherever you listen to this podcast, that would just mean the world to me because it helps us get out there and have other people have confidence that that thing they're considering pressing play on is absolutely worth it. I'll catch you for the next show you tune into. Thanks for joining me again. This is Alex Stewart, founder of Lotox Life.